Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us on episode 64 of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. And once again, I'm looking forward to sharing with you this guest. It's MJ Ryan. And if you have ever found yourself trying to establish a new habit or some good behavior, but you've been slipping up along the way, MJ Ryan has a handy idea to help reinforce that called mantras. So you're going to learn, one, how to identify unconscious behaviors and what to do to overcome them. Two, the worst mental habit in the workplace to break right away. And three, an approach developing your own game-changing personal mantras. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, and links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep64. However, if you'd like to receive just those takeaways, all the faster in an email you can read in under two minutes to catch some of those tidbits from MJ Ryan and the 63 guests who've come before her and the many to come after her, Go ahead and sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over at awesomeatyourjob.com. You're worth it. So here's a quick tidbit about MJ. MJ is an executive coach to senior executives and entrepreneurs around the world. She combines a practical approach with methodologies from neuroscience, positive psychology, and asset-focused learnings to help clients and readers more easily meet their goals. She is a partner with the Levo League Career Network and the lead venture coach at SheEO an organization offering a new funding and support model for female entrepreneurs. She's the founder of Canary Press, creator of the New York Times bestselling Random Acts of Kindness series, and author of many books, including her latest, Habit Changers, 81 Game-Changing Mantras to Mindfully Realize Your Goals. Here's MJ. MJ, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm happy to be with you. I love the concept of being awesome at your job. Oh, me too. Me too. Well, I think we're going to have some fun here. And it seems like you've got a wealth of knowledge from the world of positive psychology and neuroscience and such. And a good chunk of that is packed into your upcoming book here, Habit Changers. Can you tell us a little bit, what's the story here behind these 81 game-changing mantras? (laughs) I work as an executive coach to leaders and entrepreneurs around the world. And you know, what I'd love to do is help people grow and change. And I've written a lot about change and how we can create change. But I always am looking for something that's going to make it easier for people, because as you know, change is hard (laughs) once we're adults, because our brain is less plastic, less we can grow new new habits, but it's harder than when we were young. So I'm always looking for shortcuts for things that'll, you know, make it easier. And I was working with this guy uh, who was having trouble learning how to delegate. And I was going on and on and on about how to delegate properly and teaching him what to do and say. And he looked at me and goes, wait, 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 wait. You've got to make it much simpler than this if I am going to remember. <laughs> okay. I thought, hmm. I thought, okay, good point. So I said, say what and why, not how. So that was simple enough for him. He wrote it down on a little piece of paper, and that became his mantra. Every time he would go in to have a meeting with his people, he would say, say what and why, not how, to himself. And then, lo and behold, not only did he do it, but he did it so well that he got a promotion while we were working together. So, Oh, that's great. So, so he'd be having a, a conversation in a meeting, and someone would be talking about some initiative. Maybe could you give us an example. Well, he was... 
you know, he was micromanager. He was a, he came to me, he was sent to me by his boss because they, people said that he was the worst boss they ever had. Oh boy. He'd get, he'd get in and mess around with their stuff. You know, he would say, do this and do it like that. And da da da. And that, you know, he would be, he was just a micromanager, which drove everyone crazy because of course it's disempowering. And so he did, literally did not know how to delegate. So I helped him understand behind this mantra was, all right, so what am I wanting? What's, what's the result I'm looking for? And um, mm. why is it, and why does this matter? So good leaders know that we need to say what we're looking for. So I need a report from you, Pete, on awesomeness at work. Mm-hmm. Got it. And here's why I need it. And so the why matters because the brain is looking for a context and for a sense of purpose. And when we don't give those two things, then we create less than optimal conditions for them to, to deliver what we want. But instead, what bad leaders do is they go into the how. And I want it to be on purple paper. And I want you to make sure that you have this kind of a headline and, and you know that you do it on Tuesday between two and four. Mm-hmm. We get into the details, which then interferes with the person's autonomy, essentially, the person who we're delegating to, and creates a lot of resentment and ultimately disempowerment of the person that we're trying to lead, right? Okay, that's great. So I I think that's a really nice example, the way you unpack that a bit. And so the what and why, not how, is just sort of a a shorter way of instantly reminding yourself of that, you know, key message is like, I'm going to tell a person what I want and why I want it. I am not going to tell them how to do it. And so they've condensed that into something they can just say in their brain in an instant. Correct. So that's what all of these are. Mm -hmm. So they're not, they're not affirmations. Affirmations are things that say we are hoping we're going to be like this in the future. What these are are actually instruction of what you're supposed to do. So let me give you another example. So it's not about what you're trying to be. It's about how you're trying to behave. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's a quick reminder. So I work with a lot of people who part of their problem is they're very suspicious of other people's intentions. Huh. So people who are good at strategic thinking, they get sometimes get hung up on people's strategy and they they think, well, why is she doing that? Why does she say that thing? And, and they, they interpret other people's behavior in a negative light, right? And that then makes relationships at work tend to go bad because you're always presuming that they're doing something that maybe they're probably not. So I give this one to lots of my clients, which is presume goodwill. All right. Right. So presume goodwill. So what that helps people remember is I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but if I assume a good positive intention, then probably our conversation is going to go better than if I presume a negative one. Right? Oh, absolutely. And it, it so sure. Oh, that's so good. And so there's 81 of them. And, and that's a, a whole bundle there. <laughs> and, that's a whole bundle. And you can also create your own. The point is to, to when we're trying to create a habit, what we're trying to do is get the autom- automatic part of our brain to start to build the habit because otherwise remembering as we know remembering is hard like oh yeah i have to remember pete's not out to get me and (laughs) even though he maybe didn't say hello to me in the hall maybe that was just because he and i don't remember that i might because my brain is perfectly wired to do what i'm already doing and think what i'm already thinking so these things help us quickly remember so we practice enough that it becomes automatic so that's the point of them okay so well, I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit more about some of the backstory there. So we know what they, they look like in practice and what they remind. And and so can I hear a little bit about, you said that this slogan practice, it was the term, is oh, that a yeah. Buddhist term? Is it, how do I pronounce that? Lojong? 
Yes. So I got the idea of, I mean, aside from this guy trying to make it simpler for my client, I had been reading about this practice in Buddhism that's called Lojong. It's a, it's a Tibetan practice that is about slogans. And it's exactly similarly, which similar, which is that you get these phrases you get, that you say to yourself and you choose one a day until you don't need that one anymore. And then you go to the next one. So you use, you choose one for as long as you need it. Then you go to the next one, but they're very obscure. They're like Zen koans. They're like the equivalent of the sound of one hand clapping. They're not help. They in themselves are not helpful for us in our business lives. I don't think, but the concept of it was in my mind when I was coming up with these things for people. I thought, Oh, they just need a pra- slogan to practice with. Uh huh. Or, or the sound of one dog barking as the case may be. <laughs> yeah. So oh no, I it's fun. It's fun. What's the little dog's name? Mookie. Mookie. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So what's interesting is Mookie is a fabulous example of actually what happens to us. In fact, I often say the Mookie brain. So we all have a part of our brains, the instinctive part that we inherited from our animal past. They're as smart as a lizard. Oh, is that the limbic system? Yes, it is. And it's, it's a lizard brain, and it's just looking for threat. Is this dangerous or is this safe? And it drives a lot of our, beha- our unconscious behavior. Because mm-hmm. it's either, so we actually have three systems. And one is this avoid threat system. And so that's what we, when, when Mookie's barking, she's saying, I'm scared, right? <laughs> and, the, and then there's an approach system, et cetera. So the point is, is that we are, we are driven by these things and we're acting from them a lot of the time. And so that's why we end up saying and doing things that we regret later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because when that part of our brain takes over, it literally, it's, it's the limbic system, specifically the amygdala, and it hijacks our actual uh, higher capacity thinking, which takes place in the prefrontal cortex. So what happens is we start to do and say things because we've been hijacked. Our prefrontal cortex later on comes back online and goes, oh, no, what did I do? Or what did I say? Or whatever. So so some of these that are in the book are about helping you catch yourself when you've been hijacked to make sure you don't make it worse. So so anger is a form of hijack. When you're angry, not righteous anger, like you're upset about some social justice thing. I'm not talking about that. But that anger that is like, I want to strangle this person, figuratively speaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is the fight part of the fight or flight mechanism, which is what this hijack turns on. When our brain, when the limbic system hijacks our prefrontal cortex, it turns on our fight or flight response. So have you ever had that experience where you just think to yourself, okay, I'm just going to quit. I'm out of here. They're mistreating me. I am just going to leave. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Oh, sure. That's, that's flight of the fight, flight, or freeze. And fight is, I'm going to go in there and give her a piece of my mind, or, or you, in fact, do it. That's fight. And so when we experience, I've, I've worked with a number of people who have anger issues at work. And what happens is that this mechanism, this fight or flight, turns on really fast, right? So when you interrupt a little bit with the, one of these slogans, so one of the ones I gave to a person like this was stop, <laughs> stop, <laughs> Rewind. So in other words, go back to where we were before you, the hijack happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So that helps interrupt this hijack and brings you back into your prefrontal cortex, which is where you make the wise decisions and have all of your good thoughts. You know? Yeah. 
Well, that all makes good sense to me, kind of biochemically and in yeah. terms of, of how that's operating for us. Can you share, are, are there kind of any cool studies or experiments or results showing up in the positive psychology uh, literature? There specifically relates to, well, one of the most interesting things about this is that we have, we have tendencies, but what we've discovered is that we have tendencies in our brain either to go very fast to those places, so you're, it's called an upregulated stress response. So you're around, you've probably seen people like this at work. They're very hair-triggered. They're going along, it's fine. Something sets them off and makes an explosion, right? Mm-hmm. That means that they have deeply grooved neuropathways and that their, that their stress response is actually faster and stronger than other people's. And they probably also have what's called tilt to the right of hemisphere of their brain, which is where emotionality and uh, access to this amygdala is faster. So we can, and, and conversely, some of us have a left prefrontal tilt, which means we're generally uh, more positive and more upbeat, more grateful, more kind, et cetera, which of course creates a much better atmosphere at work, right? Well, the, so we have, by the time we're adults, we have these tilts because we've grooved them in, whether we were born that way and then habituated even more because of all of our experiences up to this point. We have these habits to either tilt to the right and think about the negative or tilt to the left and think about the positive that are instinctive. Mm-hmm. But positive psychology has discovered, and, and that research, by the way, was discovered looking at the brains of Tibetan monks, a right. guy at the University of Michigan. Right. So what, what positive psychology has discovered is that we can actually, through practices of looking at the positive, practicing gratitude and generosity and kindness, et cetera, we can actually influence our tilts. So we can be more tilted to the, to the left and therefore be happier and more positive and also create positive environments around us. Mm, lovely. So one of the things that really wait, relates to to work is that they what they've discovered is that five positive expressions to every one negative one creates an upward spiral of positivity. I so think a, Gottman talks a lot about that in the relationship romance context. It, yes, yeah. he does. But what's interesting is that it's this research. So he's looking at it in love relationships. Mm-hmm. The exact same ratio has been shown to be true at work. So when leaders, when bosses have or and teams have a five to one ratio they too have a more positive upward and everyone ha- likes working on the team it's because it's not about never talking about problems or not expressing something that's not working but if you're always focusing on the negative you're going to create a downward spiral uh, of morale right um, and so the ratio five to one holds up from an organizational point of view too. All right, so we talked about some micromanagement. We talked about some anger. What are some of the other kind of mental habits in in the workplace that you think you see often that kind of need to be broken and and some of the great uh, aphorism antidotes to break it? Yeah, so one of the ones that I think is huge and the more that, you know, part of what we're all learning to do as we work in the 21st century is to work faster, right? We all need to go faster. We need to create less interference and less fragmentation so that we can accelerate because it's so competitive, right? Well, one of the habits that people have all that I think really interfere with speed and also don't do anything good in our brains, by the way, is blame. So when something Mm. goes wrong, what do we do? 
we sit Whose around. Whose fault is it? <laughs> we, yeah, whose fault is this? <laughs> and uh, and then we spend a lot of time trying to, and then I'm trying to deflect the fault, so I'm blaming. No, it wasn't me. It was Pete. You know, like that. So that is a real, real big time waster. And I first learned this actually. I used to own a book. I started and ran a book publishing company before I did the work that I'm doing now with individuals, and which I published books on this personal growth and. Mm-hmm. Uh, leadership, et cetera. So I got so interested, I decided to forget books. I want to actually do this work with people. And when, so we're, I was in a startup and I don't know why I knew this, but it just seemed to me like it's not, if there's a problem, fix it. Because usually it's a timely problem. Like something has gone wrong that is going to interfere with the delivery of something or the, you know, right in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so, so what I always used to say was fix the problem, then go back and solve the pattern, okay. right? So, and we don't care whether Pete did it or MJ did it. What's wrong and how are we going to fix this? Okay, first step first is you do that. Then go back later if you need to and do an analysis of it so that you can make sure that whatever happened doesn't happen again. And oftentimes, it's not because Pete's a jerk. It's because there's some kind of system or process breakdown, right? And so, right. So I was, I've been, I've been teaching this and using this since, you know, for many, many years. And then I was, I was working with a client of mine who, who is a regulatory affairs person in a drug company. And she goes, oh yeah, yeah. This is principle number one, which is you first correct, then you prevent. So that's the mantra for the, for this one in the book. So it's like, yeah, you just first correct and then prevent. Right, right. And then never blame or like maybe later. (laughs) No no blame. Exactly. It just wastes time and emotional energy. Sixthly, placed it on their performance review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But not, not in the moment where you're trying to make sure this doesn't happen. The the other thing that I love, and I actually just used this is last week with the team that I was sitting in on. So this team had a challenging boss and they're all the leaders and they were really having to step up the plate and say, tell the truth, which was a little bit challenging for them. And essentially what they were is they kept saying yes to be pleasing, but, and so we're, they were committing to way too many things. So this is sort common, right? I mean, this is not an unusual thing. Even if the boss is a wonderful person, you still want to please the boss. So you say, sure, sure, sure. And even though you know in your heart, you can't do it, Right. So I'm standing there and I'm saying, look, you guys, you actually can't say yes if you can't say no. Yeah. And everybody looked at me with these big eyes and they, like, you could see the penny drop. They really got it. I said, oh, that's true. I said, yeah. So you're not actually saying yes to any of these things because, and that's why you have an accountability issue because it's not really, you can't say yes if you can't say no. You have to have permission to say no and you have to have the backbone to, to say, I'm really sorry, but in order to do that, we're going to have to give up something. And I, so which is, which would you prefer? <laughs> right? right? It's like, but I think this concept of you can't say yes, if you can't say no, is a really good reminder for people who need that extra support in saying no. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Just a few episodes back, Greg McEwen uh, of Essentialism oh, yeah. was hammering that point too. And spot on. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I could dig into another one of your aphorisms, what's the story about outsourcing your worry? 
Uh, yes, that's a really important one. So a client said this to me one day. She said, I'm just going to outsource my worry. <laughs> and I thought, that is a fabulous idea. What are you going to do? And so what it is is that we all have strengths and talents. The research from the Gallup organization says we each have five to seven of these ways of approaching the world that are our capacity for excellence. And we also have skills that we can do. But the difference between skills and talents is Talents energize us to do them. So for me to help somebody to understand who they are as an individual, I can do that all day. I don't wear out, right? Mm -hmm. That's a talent. A skill is something like, okay, yeah, I can read a spreadsheet, but after a while my brain goes, uh, right? So that's the difference. And what happens is that they fall, these talents, into four broad categories. Innovative, meaning which is people who are strong at big picture thinking, the future, innovation, strategy, new, different, let's throw out the mold and come up with something completely new. Entrepreneurs are typically strong here. Analytic, which is data, facts, numbers, logic, rational. Present focus, what's the data tell us about where we are right now? I'm really good at this. That's why you hear a lot of facts from me. Procedural thinking, which is about risk averse, making sure Oof. we do making sure we do the same thing over and over again in an orderly, replicable fashion to reduce risk and to increase reliability. Oh, that's my worst. <laughs> yeah. And relational, which is about people and feelings and team and how we get along and everything has to do with people. It's what new thing, why are we doing this is analytic, how we're doing it is procedural, and who we're doing it with is relational. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with that backdrop. Each of us, our talents fall into different configurations. And some of us have some in all four, but most of us do not. And we tend to worry in the place where we don't have any talent. So you just said the procedural was your worst. Right? Yeah. So when you have to make sure you're doing everything and crossing the I's and the T's and doing the same thing over and over again, how does that feel? Well, it's so funny, like that you've really opened things up for me. I mean, so right now I'm thinking, you know, I'm going on vacation soon and I got to make sure that things are buttoned down. So the show goes on, you know, and there's a little bit of stress or worry there, right? Absolutely. You tend to to work the place that you're not worried are the places you're really great at. Right. So coming up with big new ideas or the people fleet part, right. Being connecting to people. You don't worry about that. Right. Because you're good at it. Right. So we worry in the place where we have few or no talents. Okay. Okay. And so when she, so she knows that because she, this client of mine, she learned that from me. And so what she was realizing was she kept worrying about the exact same things you are like, am I going to get to the meeting on time? And what about my, you know, because she travels around the world, all the plane arrangements and stuff. And so what she realized she had to do was give that to someone else. (laughs) That's why it's outsourcing. So what she was going to do is make sure that she had was using her assistant role mm-hmm. so that her assistant would be making sure that she was driving all of those details. And my client would listen to the assistant as to what to do. Like you got to leave 15 minutes early because of that. then you'll get there in time. So you won't be stressed out like that. She was going to give the power over to, of, of the planning over to her assistant and then do what her assistant said. That's what she meant by outsourcing worry. Mm. Well, that sounds like a fine idea. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah and all you need is an assistant now, right? <laughs> well, well, there's so many tools about whether it's, you know, virtual assistants or fancy hands or, I mean, there's any number of ways folks can get a little bit of help 
uh, from yes. a human or a technological system that no matter where you are, in terms of in your role and in your income, you can find some help. But yes, however, those of us who are extremely innovative and not very procedural, it's they tend to love to find the tools to do these things yes. and uh-huh. tend not to be, want to follow the process of using the tools. Mm. <laughs> that's why it's helpful to have someone else to bug you, basically. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's good. Fun. Well, so so you tell me, are there, are there any other, I, I guess I'm wondering about kind of key watch outs or mistakes. Like if, if, if I'm trying to put this into action, it seems like yes. I've, I've got a zero in on a truth, a something that uh, I keep forgetting and it's not kind of yep. baked into me. It's not kind yep. of part of my hard wiring, but I want Literally. it to become part of it. Exactly. W- That's right. So I got to and- identify that thing and yep. then I got to kind of crystallize my message in a succinct way of just a couple words that mean something to me. To you. Yes. So I've helped you out in the book, if you, you know, which is I've got a bunch of categories and things, everything from procrastination to dealing with stress and, and conflict and communicate all, all the kinds of business issues that we typically deal with. And I've given you a bunch of them there, but it's true. You can also do it yourself by thinking, what is it that I need to remember and making something catchy that will help you remember it. Right. And then putting that in the beginning, we always need external reminders. So whether you put it on as a sticky or screensaver or pop up on your phone or something that reminds you from the outside what you were going to remember to think. (laughs) Right. Right. Until it becomes more of a habit. Oh, reminders from the outside always help. Always. Oh, that's lovely. Well, MJ, tell us, is there anything else you want to make sure you convey before we shift gears and talk about the fast faves? (laughs) <laughs> so I know just that I think that we all have the capacity to change. I think that it's one of our greatest gifts as human beings. And it's just we're wired to do what we're already doing. And so to break that habit, so to speak, you're actually not breaking the habit. Your old wiring is always going to be there. What you're doing is building new wiring that's parallel to it. And so this is a technique for really making new wiring quickly. Oh, beautiful. Well, then. I'd love to start us off if you could share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring again and again. Oh, man, I have so many. Every, most of my books start with quotes. Oh, I love this one. <laughs> this is about following your own formula for success instead of always looking to other people. A guy named Murray Cohen said, the arc was built by amateurs and the Titanic by experts. Do not ah. wait for experts. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> How about a favorite study or piece of research that you find yourself citing often? Well, I think one of the ones that I t- we, we t- you talked a little bit about Gottman, but the person who's done a lot of research on, on positive psychology and growing all of these is a woman named Barbara Friedrichsen, who's at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And she's done research into things like the uh, random acts of kindness. And since I was the person who wrote the book, Random Acts of Kindness, I've been really interested to follow her research, which is that I knew that these doing these things make you happier. And the thousands of letters that I got, this is pre-internet, proved that. Mm-hmm. But she did, but she actually did a study that proved it. Um, and that, that when we do these kind things, whether putting money in other people's meters or whatever, we actually get happier too. And the ratio, by the way, again, is five a week. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Dan Harris was talking about that as well, just getting a bunch of ones and, and giving it to every homeless person he passed on the way. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was cool. How about a favorite uh, book? Well, I'm obsessed in terms of work with Traction by Gina Wickman. 
It's actually a procedural, it's completely from the procedural quadrant, but it's really about how you create acceleration by living in a 90-day business world rather than a year-long goals. And I think it's absolutely right on. It's crucial for anyone in a startup, but it actually is also incredibly helpful for those who are in any any size organizations to live, to create 90 day goals and, and absolutely make sure you focus and make those happen. It's very powerful for creating acceleration. Oh, cool. And how about a favorite tool, whether it's a piece of hardware or software or a gadget or, or something that you rely upon and it's really boosted your effectiveness? Well, the only tool I have is this reminder system on my phone called Just Reminder. And so you can program it for anything and it just goes off at that the time you tell it and says what you want to be remembering. And so you can use it for everything to not forgetting your vitamins to remembering the habit change or slogan you want to, you want to say. So. Oh, excellent. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours? One of the things that I love to do, and this comes from Buddhist practice, is the loving kindness meditation, which is where you offer well wishes in your mind to yourself and to those close to you. And, and, and you do it in this concentric circles out to and end with, with the whole world. And I just find it very soothing to my mind when there's nothing I can do when I, especially when I see suffering, like if I'm driving around and I see a car accident, I always do it for the people there. It's just a way of feeling like I'm connected to the, all of, all of the hard things that are happening in the world that I can't do anything about, but I can care. Gotcha. And how about a favorite sort of resonant nugget or piece from your your speaking, your writing, your training, your books, something that tends to get retweeted or Kindle book highlighted or note taken a lot? Yeah. So I think that something that people really resonate is this my concept about trusting yourself. And trusting yourself is three things. Self-awareness, I know who I am. Self-acceptance, I, it's okay to be me. And self-reliance, I can use what I know about myself in the world. Mm-hmm. And it seems really simple, but it's in, in those three things are most of our problems <laughs> of one or the other of, that, of those things. Mm-hmm. We either don't, are not aware of what, who we are and the gifts we really, and talents we really have. We don't accept them. We want it to be different. And we don't know how to use what we have. So we have like a treasure chest inside of our heads and we don't know how to get it out. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And what would you say is the best way to find you if folks want to learn more or or reach out? Where would you point them? MJ-Ryan.com is my website and you can find my books there and uh, all kinds of other goodies. And how about a favorite uh, challenge or or parting call to action or something that you'd challenge those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs to do? Yeah, I think that the question is really what you were asking is what is it that I need to grow in myself that I can, so I can be even more effective at what I'm doing. Right. And if it's not working, stop doing it and try something else. Right. You know, it's like we tend to either give up too soon or hang on to what we're doing too long. Right. We, we tend to be stuck on one side of the thing or another. So it's about, about saying, okay, I need to get into action, but if I'm doing stuff and it's not being effective, then what else can I try? Mm-hmm. Never giving up. Hold on tightly, let go lightly. That's how, That's the mantra for that. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Well, MJ, thanks so much for this. And, and I wish you tons of luck with this book and, and all you're up to there. Thank you so much. You take care, Pete. Okay. 
Oh, well, I hope you dug that. And I think it really takes a little bit of thought to establish your mantras because it's interesting, even the conversation, when you first hear the three words or four words, it's like, huh, what's that even mean? But rather it is like a distillation, a condensation down to that morsel to remind yourself in the moment that makes all the difference. So I've been having some fun with that and reinforcing some things. And I hope you do the same. So again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP64. And do push that subscribe button if you haven't already so you can meet another friend I met at Podcast Movement, Lisa Cummings. She is talking about leading through strengths. So if you've heard of the Strengths Finder or the Strengths Finder 2.0 stuff, she is a master of all that content. So hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 